This is a brand new episode of the World Staffing Podcast, the interview podcast brought to you by Candidate Lead, where we meet with entrepreneurs, successful business owners, and the greatest minds of the staffing industry. We are interested in what drives them, what inspires them. We want to know what their everyday work looks like and what keeps them up at night. We should all learn from them and at the same time, have a good time. And this is your host, Jan Yedlinski. Welcome to a brand new episode of the World Staffing Podcast. Today with a very, very special guest, a friend, advisor, mentor, investor, and staffing industry expert. He's the inventor of Smart Wallet Plates, a smart home device. He's the founder of eWork, one of leading independent consulting suppliers in Europe. He was the CEO of Probate VMS, advises tons of companies in the HR tech and SaaS world. And he recently took the role as the CEO and co-founder at eTechy, a global marketplace for technical interviews. Welcome to the World Staffing Podcast, Hans. Thank you so much, Jan. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words as you were running through it. I didn't realize how much time I've already spent in this industry, but uh, we're very glad to be here. Cool. Awesome. And, you know, talking about your time in the industry, I have obviously tons of questions for you about eTechie and more things. But before we dive in, tell us a little bit about your story in the staffing industry and, you know, your journey through the last couple of years or last decade, so to say. Sure. You know, I, I first started, uh, I'm an engineer by degree and started with a lot of systems design for advanced robotic systems. So believe it or not, I was doing a lot of high tech stuff. But interestingly enough, the pressures even at that time when I started that company to automate large scale factories was in processes and understanding supply chains. So over time, interestingly enough, especially in the first world markets like the US and Europe, people started to become you know, the gating item for processes and for getting things done, even in factories. And that kind of led me into taking a lot of what we had done and what I would kind of refer to as my first career in large-scale automation in, in factories and process and supply chain and applying it to companies and their need for that in, from, from a people perspective, you know, workforces. Mm -hmm. And that's how a company called eWork began. It was intermixed with the beginning of the internet around the dot-com. And I came up with an idea at the time for a marketplace, an exchange for e-workers, for what we quick, quickly referred to in those days as e-workers, which conjures up, you know, knowledge workers all looking on the internet for work. And that was the genesis of the sort of human cloud, the, the marketplace, the platforms for finding professional knowledge workers online. And that was around the dot-com. To survive dot-com, we obviously had to figure out a way to get this technology consumed. So I'm kind of credited with having been part of the, the, the initiation of VMS as a, as a technology. Mm -hmm. But we did it from the internet. I, I like to tell the other VMS people, you know, the grand the granddaddies of VMS, that we kind of came from the outside in, while most of the other companies, Field Glass and others, were starting from the inside out. Mm -hmm. But we took VMS, we took it into the hospitals. eWork was one of the few that took it into the hospitals. We never lost sight of the marketplaces, and we actually even added uh, employer of record with eWork services to mm -hmm. the uh, businesses. E-work itself became uh, also became another brand. I, I had started in parallel one in Europe, now known as E-work Group. E-work Group is an E-work exchange company. It did very, very well. IPO'd in 2008 in E-work in the United States, broke up its parts and sold it as uh, we kind of moved on to do other things. I took time off, came back, had a good friend that had started Provade, got involved with an affiliated company, Pinnacle, as well. 
and try to see what we could do with that, especially with our alignment with Oracle technology at the time. And then uh, last year, left that opportunity after we sold it to an Oracle Platinum partner, founded a home, and started thinking about other things, got heavily involved in remote work and the processes associated with now because of the pandemic, everybody working remotely, and then got introduced to the original founder of eTechie, who was very interested in taking it uh, global and taking it to the next level. So I am in the process now of looking and doing that for eTechie, as you rightfully mentioned, the marketplace for uh, technology interviews. Awesome. So that, that's really so, so that's, that's, that's how I got here. So that's how I got here. Yeah. Fantastic background. I, uh, super fascinating from you know the marketplace side on on eWork and you know to the VMS side. You know not really marketplace, but also two sites that you have to to manage. And now the marketplace for technical interviews. Tell us a little bit more about eTechie. I find it super fascinating. Sort of technical interview as a service. How does it work? And to, you know who are the customers and and and, and what's the workflow? Yeah, the original instance, it's been in business for about five years. Interestingly enough, it has a lot of its roots in India. The, the original founder and the original group you know, needed it for themselves. They just didn't want to consume a lot of their own people's times interviewing. So they created a simple service that allows other experts to participate in interviews and, and really bestowed a lot of sort of trust in that, in that model. So, you know, it, it took off that way. A lot of our work is done in India, where it's obviously a very dynamic market that the numbers are much higher. Price points are a lot more pressurized. But the marketplace sort of viewed it as if we're going to scale and we're going to find true experts for skills that are very, you know, very much in demand right here, right now. And, and it's always changing. It, it did merit a marketplace model, very much the way we had thought about things for eWork. So I found a lot of synergy from all the work we had done before. We operate in the US and in India, and we're hoping to get to Europe here uh, before the end of the year. And the idea is to recruit and uh, create opportunities for those that could land on the, in, on the site, uh, on, mar- on the marketplace as providers, service providers, almost freelancers, Mm-hmm. And, and we give them a lot of resources as well in a dashboard and a whole place, you know, very, very similar to some of the marketplaces you see for ride share, you know, mm-hmm. and other services, microservices, perhaps. In this case, it's something that you're already an expert in. So interestingly enough, you're being uh, invited and courted for things that you already are well recognized for. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you get the opportunity to contribute. Now, on those being interviewed, the big distinction versus automated assessment and some of the other tools, obviously, that are there to test your skills is that you get a much more kind of a collaborative experience. It's a more balanced experience with someone who's interviewing you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it tends to steer and, and go in the direction that makes sense. Obviously, it's guided by an interview script that the, uh, the person uh, or the company that's requested that interview has given some guidance, but it's it's generally purposefully left independent so the expert can do their work. And then they write uh, an assessment report. And that report is got a rubric, it's got an interviewing techique, a scope that is uh, unique to what eTechie does. And it also provides assets like video assets, coding assets, things that all combine into a, a comprehensive report on the results of the interview. And we foresee in the future that you would own that possibly depending on you know who paid for it and the rights, but you might be given rights as one being interviewed to pass that on so as to basically make the whole interviewing cycle, which is a necessity we all know and all want to make a conclusion, a decision to hire, 
you know, so that we're not all burning up so much time interviewing, re-interviewing and doing it in an unstructured manner and not having good feedback and good information from it and, and overall a good experience. So that's how Got it all kind of ties together. It fits very well with the direct sourcing, you know, mm-hmm. um, movement right now and also the EI movement to try to make things more equitable and inclusive, try to remove some of the biases that might be inside an organization by bringing a third party outside expert involved in the interviewing process. So I think it's a very progressive environment, uh, the marketplace, the globalness, the price points that hopefully makes the, the, the recruitment process a lot more efficient. That's great. I find it super interesting, specifically third party verification part, which I want to talk about in a second. But sure. let's go back a little bit to the use cases. You know, when somebody's listening to the podcast and they are a client looking to have, you know, high volume of, of hiring going on and would like to use it or you're a staffing company, I think it fits in both use cases, right? It could be a staffing company that basically gives the e-tech tool to their recruiters or to their teams to be an an addition to to their efforts. But it could be also very nicely integrated into the, on the client side, right? uh, As a a direct sourcing initiative where e-tech essentially becomes part of the entire interviewing process. And, you know, one thing that I wanted to ask you, is it more for use cases where maybe you don't have somebody internally with that expertise? Or is it purely an addition to to an existing interview that maybe somebody has already done? Where are the use cases mostly today? Yeah, I mean, there's several ways that the product is used, the service is used. And uh, let me make note that we recently released what we call a pay-per-interview versus pay-per-view, pay-per-interview. It's a self-service product that actually allows people to order one interview and pay with a credit card. So at a very high granular level to spot interview when you're, you know, tight on time, you know, candidates are very in demand these days. And obviously we don't want to, you know, push them off with waiting for interviews to happen, you know, weeks at a time. So the idea of the marketplace is to give more accessibility. So in some use cases, it's for velocity, you know, that people want to get this done right away. And it's just, it's all backed up can't get everybody lined up, but we, we can hopefully find someone on the marketplace that can. In other cases, especially with staffing companies, it is sometimes skills where we're not feeling as confident. The staffing companies that are doing quite well, they want to prove to their clients that they really are committed to finding high quality candidates. And this is a way to get a third party involved to sort of make that point very clear and very upfront that they are fully committed. In other cases, uh, it's part of a staffing operations service within, you know, it's e inside type of thing. And we partner mm-hmm. with them to do that. From the corporate side, I've got a good friend, for example, who uh, is a director at a, at a high-flying, you know, six, $700 million back startup, mm-hmm. later, later stage. And they, uh, they're so desperate that, uh, and, and I've heard this happened at Google as well, that they you know, they circulated information requirements that the, the development staff actually carve out up to a quarter of their time interviewing other candidates. And, and most developers, IT peoples, you know, they want to do IT work. They don't want to spend all day interviewing others. So mm-hmm. how do you augment that? How do you, you know, how do you add more expertise into the mix? And that's another use case where in that case, it's an augmentation activity to a corporate's own in-house ability to interview some of the interviews are done beforehand so that they can gather the information so that the final near final interviews are done in such a way that they uh, benefit from the information that was done from eTechie that re- reported from eTechie 
In other cases, when uh, the recruiters aren't very versed or they really don't have a lot of bandwidth because they're working way up in the pipeline, then they use this more frequently to conduct a little bit more uh, ability, show more ability in the technology assessment and the interviewing before they submit candidates. So in the pipelining of many, many candidates to the final ones, we're in the middle there, sometimes further upstream and sometimes a little bit further downstream. So there are lots of reasons why you know people are using us and getting the benefit. And the ROI is clearly there, especially when you consider the placement rates relative to velocity and good information to, to kind of confirm that your candidate is the one. Can eTechie or do you think eTechie could become this Twitter or in Instagram verified checkmark next to the candidate profile? So basically next time the candidate interviews somewhere, they already come up with their you know, verified e-tech interview? Is that the, the goal? Yeah, that's the, I think that's the ultimate goal is to make this asset, this report, this experience accessible because why replicate it and do it over and over again? Now, very often, interviews are unique because, you know, the actual job position is, is a unique position. So you, you want to match a unique uh, ability to that. So it's not that it'll always be the case, but just like we have other profiling that we do, you know, as a way to represent ourselves and represent the opportunity, I, I do believe that, you know, going forward, that'll be the case. Now, for our interviewers, those that conduct the interviews that come onto our marketplace and want to contribute that way, we do have a process where they go through a training, they go through this technique for improved ability to interview. And also, ultimately, they have a peer panelist that's reviews their, um, so they get interviewed themselves, essentially, mm -hmm. and, and do end up with a certified eTechie certified badge that obviously gives them a little more status than someone who hasn't gone through the training and hasn't been certified. And I imagine that will continue to improve, increase, will provide more training. It's, it's still very, very early in this, especially built as a marketplace. So I think there is still a lot of potential for improvement and growth. And obviously, building up the marketplace so both consumers and providers are both benefited from, from the matching. I think it's a super exciting model. It's super timely. And I think when you look at the market across different industries and the cycle, you know, having checker, you know, doing the background checks as a service or other providers, I think the interview as a service model is super exciting. I think there is a lot of opportunities specifically, I think, for the so to say, third-party verification where eTechie becomes this instance where if you are eTechie verified, then you know that's your check mark that you have on your candidate profile, and that gives you a potentially better status or preference, and and has less. Yeah, I mean, I I think at the very least, what it does. I mean, again, you know, an interview is for specific, right? I mean, people could have a good interview for something they're not uh, really well suited for, and a great interview for something they're highly suited for. So this certification, I think, would, you know, from the interview side, we mentioned that already. From the candidate side, I think what it does suggest, though, is that they're open, you know, they're willing to collaborate and are quite, you know, quite, uh, you know, already demonstrate some of the attributes of candidates that, you know, people are looking for. Interestingly, with the pandemic, clearly, and the reach for finding candidates going more global, You know, we also have seen other issues that have popped up, typical of, you know, in internet behavior, you know, which will just classify under the big umbrella of faking, you know, fakes. Yeah. So an interesting stat, um, I don't have a precise number, but we all concurred 
and looking at some of the material we've seen it ourselves firsthand is that, you know, fake counts are, are way up, you know, in the order of doubling. Since the pandemic began, you might think, why are people trying to fake, you know, getting interviews or try to get a job they can't do? But surprisingly, you know, it's a real waste of everyone's time, obviously, to let a fake proceed and progress. But you see that quite a bit uh, more than you did before. And obviously, for a staffing operator who is very much entrusted to find the right people, you know, it, it looks really bad for them to be submitting candidates that are fakes. And we have a lot of technology and ability and seasoned professional expert interviewers that are very good at identifying fakes, even embellishments, you know, which aren't quite blatant, but embellishment of say, oh, yeah, I do this, I do that. You know, you're a foreign language speaker. How many people do you run to says, oh, yeah, yeah, and I speak German. And then you say a few things and it's kind of clear that they, they speak a little bit perhaps, but they don't really are very fluent. Yeah. So it's something like that in the technology side where, and especially with, you know, thousands and thousands of technology stacks, lots of things that it's, it's really easy to, to start spotting those that are, are, are embellishing. And you can't, as, uh, as the company that's going to hire this person and work with them, you, you can't afford that. You really have to get the, the match just right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think this point is very interesting. You know, over the last couple of years working with the Gustav product that we have, I heard so many stories literally every day that there is, you know, fake interviews going on, people faking the, the actual interview. A lot of the certification documents. Yeah, but even going um, into... Like getting the job and then somebody, I don't know, at a bank worked for six months. They didn't realize that this was not the candidate that was interviewed. There was even those type of cases. So, and obviously yes, that yes. goes all back to the staffing firm that loses clients, right? So the staffing companies became really, really hesitant to work with partners, work with not trusted partners in the market because they basically didn't want to have those use cases with the bait and switch. So I think, well, e-tech, it could be a real game changer here, actually. Yeah, and we uh, we we partner quite a bit. You know, they're all different kinds of what I refer to as intermediate companies, intermediaries. And you know, there's a lot of talk about disrupting industries and taking out intermediaries. And the fact of the matter is, I've been in this industry now with staffing companies for 20 years. And the, and the fact of the matter is, there is quite a lot of value that the intermediary provides: uh, expertise, focus, dedication. And uh, this is a partnering effort. You know, we're all going to have to get better to do more. It's the demand for IT personnel and capacity, you know, versus the supply. It's a gap that's going to you know, probably stay for a while or even grow. And that just means that all the processes that put all these opportunities together have to improve. And this is a way, you know, given the flexibility of the platform, given the technology, given even the support, we've got a lot of back office people that, in some cases, when we're contracted to give a managed service provision to go with the platform, you know, they're in the back, they're making sure the interviews are ready. They got backup interviewers going. These opportunities are important to both candidates and the companies. So there is quite a lot of support and added value that we're trying to provide with the other intermediaries, other staffing companies, the other recruitment companies, managed services, RPOs, and so on. Um, so you're saying, because I've heard this over the last 18 months, right? conversation and an explosive growth in the, the conversation that there will be a rec recruiter-less staffing, no recruiters anymore. What is your take on it? Like no more recruiters in, in any time yeah, soon you know, or honestly, will the recruiters stay? Um, you know, honestly, I, let's see if I can find an analogy here. It's like, um, you know, the industry of travel agents. You know, a long time ago, there were travel agents that did everything relative to travel. 
And has that industry diminished? Clearly it has. But the bottom line is people that are pretty good at planning travel and, and doing those things and have that knowledge because, you know, it gets more complicated. They're still doing, you know, still around and doing quite well. I think the, the staffing industry, you know, will find, uh, I've seen them, the, the, you know, the, the creation of managed service products that went with VMS. There will always be a demand for someone to help you. So I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit less gung-ho, you know, maybe 20 years ago when the internet just started and I was a much younger man thinking about how these things, you know, could just all be automated. I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I think the automation will assist. I think there will be a lot more value, you know, associated with, uh, with the technology and what it can do. But I think there will always be a role for a partner that really has your interests in mind and tries to get you help, you know, meaning the corporates, and collaborating more around the information, be a less let about a lot less about information transparency. Oh, I got, I know a whole bunch of candidates, and you don't. And it'll be a lot more about listen. How can we work on this together? I'll take that. You take this, and we'll we'll get the job done faster, more efficiently, because my service is valuable, and uh, and we'll partner on this. So, you know, you always hear a lot about partnering, and I think it'll just be pushed more that the proof of partnering will have to come to the surface. And that that's sort of the way I view it. I don't I don't think the whole and blows up and goes away by, by any means. But I think there has to be some adaptation, especially around uh, technology and information systems and the collaboration around that information. I agree. I agree. And where do you see the biggest growth opportunity for the industry overall in the next five years, 10 years? Well, that's a really good one. Um, you know, obviously, we see programs and we see, you know, especially as it evolved from VMS to MSPs, for example, I'll kind of focus more on the staffing side versus the recruitment, which I think there's a, a clear analogy with RPO to MSPs. But those are value added services that, um, you know, provided by an intermediary that knows a lot about what, uh, what it takes to, to kind of fulfill goals. I think that whole area of partnering and, and, and developing business models and programs, you know, maybe shared contingency programs that really deliver value, you know, based on results. I think all that is where the evolution will continue. And so I think that's where it's heading in terms of the models will, will improve. The, the ability to integrate technologies is clearly uh, always moving and progressing. You know, how many times do you and I and others that provide technology ask for our stuff to be integrated with the stuff that the others are using. So as these integrations become the cases and, uh, and you're collaborating around a certain outcome, then obviously workflows, cases, you know, you use the words yourself, those will become more and more important in, in how to kind of fit in. And that, of course, will beg for, you know, a business model that makes sense for achieving outcomes and being driven by those outcomes. So not a lot of specifics there, but I think it's, a, it's, it's almost what was done in the last 10, 15 years with those types of programs, but taken to a new level and taken obviously to a new level of including platforms like us, because in some respects, we're similar. We're just being done as, you know, as, a, as a SaaS service, as something that's a little bit further away. I wrote a, a piece on LinkedIn about hybrid, and obviously hybrid is identified with remote workers and hybrid locations. But the piece I wrote about was really like viewing it hybrid, meaning my workforce, Europe as a partner workforce, and these services that are out there like eTechie and, and Upwork and others also providing a level of service that gets integrated in. 
that's, you know, clouds are made up of other clouds. And I think this is all going to be interesting as the technology provided that way as a service combines with a partner as a service to what is typically viewed as the, as the client company and the models and, and the technology will continue to drive that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And do you think the war for talent, what people call right now, and actually we had a conversation before we started the podcast that even not, not only for talent, but also there's a war for talent service providers, so to say. But what, in your opinion, can companies, maybe not corporate side, but also staffing companies do better to attract talent? Is there anything that you think can be done better? Is there, is yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't honestly, maybe because I've been around for a while, I don't view it as any different than other times in, in, that's gone on. You know, it, it is marketplaces, the economy's rebounding, there's more demand. The supply, especially in what's viewed as more value critical, like, like IT services and, and, and coding and so on, and, you know, we've got a lot less people on a percentage basis getting into some of those technologies, especially in the first world. And is a great example. It's found its, uh, its ability to supply a lot of that talent. Mm-hmm. But as these things evolve, and, 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 and as you know, Jan, in the last year, I also spent quite a bit of time doing some uh, e-work. It's my passion from the past, you know, some yeah. e-work type of consideration, remote work. What is this changing? You know, the future of work, there are all these taglines for what is evolving. And some of the latest comments, so some of the latest things that have happened in the last month or so have been around, you know, burnout and things like, you know, the the, the great resignation where 80% of people are considering changing their jobs because the pandemic has psychologically made them think a lot more about what their meaning in life is, you know, especially, you know, hearing and, and, and thinking so much about life, death, circumstances with the pandemic. But companies are now becoming more intimate. I'd like to say, you know, we're on Zoom calls. You see dogs running around, people holding babies. So the relationships, and even Esther Perel has got an article as of late, and she's a a, a relationship guru here that talks about, you know, uh, romantic relationships. But the bottom line is she's turned it into work and has taken some of those principles associated with relationships. So the recruitment activity for the scarce talent will, will, will start going down that path. And the other thing, frankly, too, is that like any other supply and demand model, and we hear about inflation, there has to be some adjustments to commensurate with the value. I mean, why, why are these people so much in demand? Well, perhaps it's because they're supplying value to the company that makes them so much in demand. And like any other marketplace, I've always viewed, you know, especially people's participation, both from, from those that need people to do work and those that want to do the work, as a little bit of a marketplace, as we all know. So the bottom line is in a marketplace, you know, highly in demand, you know, deserves probably a com- compensation levels that, you know, that are commensurate to that. And, and that is a function of dollars. That is a function of ability to recognize those skill sets and what's needed. And I think there is a lot of scarcity of talent uh, from the education side. You know, that has to be addressed on a macro level. But then in your ability to compete with the guy sitting next to you on the subway, who's also looking for an IT, even though they're not a direct competitor, not probably not even in your own industry, but you both need that, that IT person. The bottom line is that at a certain point, it, it has to be addressed by what the talent does need. Uh, they need meeting. They need uh, a, a other personal, more important things that really motivate them to come to work. And then frankly, if their skills are highly in demand, they, they need to see the compensation that is more market-like. Yeah. And also, I think I saw a survey recently where, you know, the 
the commute and the remote work option, you know, on, and, and just the flexibility was, you know, top of mind for people even below the, the actual pay, right? So I think that's going to be a huge shift in the next years. And I think that's also where I think e-techy plays a huge role, right? Because now when you look at the landscape of staffing and recruiting providers, even suddenly being able to operate pretty much just with their computer everywhere in the world online with uh, you know an employer of record with a service provider like eTechie with a good linkedin account and 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 good clients and a good network of candidates and suddenly can place people everywhere they they like so i think there's going to be a a huge shift in that industry and and i'm very excited to see eTechie succeed on that front so that's pretty exciting yeah it's um if you really look at it one of the things that attracted me to it is it's it's fundamentally a remote work ability, right? And it happens to be put in the shape of a marketplace, a platform online for you to get some remote work, you know, some e-work, uh, e-techie being e-work. And what that means really is that I'm collaborating with a trusted source to do this work remotely from wherever. And there's a lot of other dimension that, you know, I don't think is fully appreciated. You know, online work, the essence of online work being functional and you know, get labs and a bunch of companies that do that, is um, you know is asynchronously being able to specify and understand a t- uh, an outcome, a, a task that needs to be done, some project, and then someone being able to pick it up from there, has the information, has the confidence, has the understanding, and then does the work and reports it back. And that you know that spans time zones. It, it's really difficult for the whole world, obviously, to be all awake at the same time, synchronously communicating. Very often now we're going to have to find more ways to take advantage of our abilities to, to operate asynchronously because you know time zones are a big factor in terms of distributing work and putting work online. And, and of course, we're, we're speaking uh, almost you know, exclusively on, on knowledge work, work that is being transmitted you know, through in, intelligent work, project work, uh, skilled work you know, through electronic means. But yes, that by, by in, inherently eTechie is kind of fits into this model of uh, remote work again, with all the framework associated with the marketplace and the, and the platform ability, because it's an interview that's being requested. It's kind of like a mini project. Can, can you do this for me? And here are all the things you need to do to do what you do best. And then you do it. And then you send me the information and then I go on and do what I need to do. So it's that decoupling, this asynchronicity, which is inherent to more success in remote work, which we've all obviously been forced to more to do more of and to think more of and make decisions on how to intermingle that with all the other things we want to do. You know, on a personal level, I've benefited, everyone I think has benefited when they're able to not have to spend a lot of time commuting to a specific location uh, and then can, you know, use that time perhaps to spend, you know, tutoring their, their children or seeing a soccer game or doing something like that. And that empowers the individuals to make decisions around how to best use the time. And, and, and time is, you know, probably the most valuable thing we've got. So, or everybody wants the power to, to kind of control that. And they'll, they'll almost give up salary or pay for it indirectly for it. Yeah. Yeah. Any company now that's not really seriously considering how to fit in this newfound you know, way of working into their mix going forward, I think is almost you know, doomed to, 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 to fall behind and, and to not succeed. Agree. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to figure out ways to incorporate this with your, with your workforce. I agree. I agree. Hans, as a leader in the industry, is there anything that keeps you up at night these days? Anything that you worry about? 
Well, obviously, besides all of the things that we all worry about, I mean, if I'll uh, sort of segment it more towards business and work. Yeah. You know, I, I think obviously is getting, you know, uh, e-techie to, to the next level in, in an efficient, you know, value creation. Obviously, we have a challenge. It's something I'm also very interested in with, with my international background. You know, the cultural aspect, you know, uh, we're a company that's in the United States and in India. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that plays obviously into a lot of bigger thoughts. You know, there was a, a movement there for a while, anti-globalization, you know, before we were all globalizing. And obviously that caused a lot of stress in the indiv- individual environments that were being forced to globalize. And, you know, we got a backlash with popularism. But ultimately, I think it's a force, a global force, especially with communication and technology, just making it easier for us to interconnect. I mean, just think about it less, less than two years ago. We, we, how many Zoom calls were you doing? You know, I mean, pe- people were not engaging as so quickly, as so connected. You know, you're, you're able to get a message about something that happened to a friend that's halfway around the globe as if they're right next door. Mm-hmm. Those forces cannot be ignored. They cannot stop globalization from, from progressing. And therefore, you know, we have a lot of issues that come from the fact that we all are different and grew up differently. So I, I, I think quite a bit about how the cultural aspects of intermingling these companies, and I have for a while because I'm interested in international experiences, you know, how that all kind of, you know, comes together and the word culture has come up a lot. You know, how is our culture uh, for the company's culture? You know, how does the company identify a culture that people, even from very different backgrounds, can rally behind? And that's a work in progress. That's that's cutting edge thought processes to try to figure out how to do that. And that's I spend quite a bit of time contemplating that, you know, how do I make a U.S., a European and an Indian cultured core group all interconnect in such a way that they all feel super excited about where they are, you know, what's happening with their company. I'm really looking forward for more updates from you in the next six to 12 months and, and see how everything is going. Before I let you go, two more questions. One is related to the device. So what advice would you give somebody who is maybe starting a new recruiting or staffing company, an HR tech company, or any type of, you know, maybe technology company in our industry. And the second question is about your source of industry news. Where do you get your industry news from? And what do you read every day to keep yourself up to date? Sure. Yeah, the first one, I think I would have to give a pretty tangible example. You know, when when I was heavy into getting VMS off the ground, you know, circa 2000, 2001, we had sponsored contingent workforce shows. And we had um, sponsored some sessions at Ariba, which is a big procurement movement, you know, a company, now SAP in the day. So we were on the cutting edge of sort of identifying this services procurement technology dedicated towards staffing and, 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 require, and, and acquiring project-based resources, uh, staff augmentation, and so on and so forth that BMS is, uh, is known for. And there was a couple of companies, without getting too specific, um, where they were just getting started. And they, they knew they couldn't compete with the traditional staffing groups. So they, what did they do? They, they just set up their systems, embraced the technology, and immediately started operating from the way the companies were providing the demand for talent. And I think, I don't think, I, I think that's still the way to break in. You know, if you're, you, you mentioned the young, you know, groups getting started, the technology is changing constantly, as we all know. 
And the ability to integrate in with that technology is improving constantly, as we all know. So I, I, I would get started in a way that envisions providing value into those systems, into those technologies, so that I could participate more, you know, partner the way some of this technology is driving people to do. I think there's certain elements of the uh, business model of, of old, or let's assume of, of, of past times, that uh, work very well, you know, being local to certain regions or certain uh, abilities, uh, certain candidate pools, and so on. I think that all makes sense because relationship is still in, in the mix here. But then again, there's, as we know, there's so much efficiency with uh, interconnecting the data through the technologies that are emerging that it just can't be ignored. It is, it is the way to kind of break in, in my opinion. So that's that's sort of the way I would think about you know getting in the industry and evolving and getting part of it and, and providing some value. Very much the way you know Gustav and your company has done. You know you guys found some really interesting ways with which to kind of change the model and then connect it. And I think that's the way other companies these days uh, could get a could get into the industry. Well, thanks for the advice. Yeah, I, I think um, you know, generically stated, obviously, because if I and many others knew exactly what to do, then we'd all be doing them, right? <laughs> so, but I think that that's at least strategically or, or thematically, you know, think of it that way. As far as where I get my news, you know, I, I've been around this industry now for a while, and it's sort of um, I kind of say this to my son too when we when we find out. I don't really look for news. News finds me sort of thing. I've got so many notifications and things set up and, yeah. and searches that, that you know, and, and it, it goes for general news as well. If something's happened on the other side of the planet, and sometimes within minutes, I already know about it. It requires me having to screen a lot of stuff or looking at a lot of stuff that's really not as important for the moment. But the bottom line is I, I tend within a day at least or two to find out about what's going on in this particular industry Others areas, you know, my soccer team and, and all these types of things. So I don't really run or, or, or get one more source or just one source. I also think, obviously, you know, with all of that's going on with, uh, with information distribution, that we have to be careful about being too, um, you know, too connected with just one voice. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I, I have kind of a, an open fire hose of information that finds me. And then, uh, you know, whenever I get breaks, I, uh, throughout the day even, you know, I'll, uh, I'll scan through all that. And then act on what I think kind of is worthy of acting. That's part of the discipline and balancing act of thinking, obviously, strategically, you know, some things I got to keep an eye on. And tactically, I got to get this thing done by noon, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of, as, as we all know, that's part of the, the balancing act or the artwork of being an executive or a manager in, in any company, in any operation. So that's, that's sort of the way I relate to news these days. It, uh, Somehow it's almost sometimes a natural filter. If it's important enough, it'll it'll hit my radar. That's because great. you know the, 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 there's radars pointed everywhere. So yeah, yeah, I tend to be very similar actually. I I don't really scan. I get a lot of notifications on things that interest me, and then I quickly sift through them if they're really relevant. So actually, that's good. Yeah, that's there's a great there's a great in a little a little tip jar thing. There's a great book that was actually written. I'm surprised at how long ago it was written. It's called The Attention Economy. Mm-hmm. came out during the dot-com era, you know, very visionary about how it's not even about money. It's not about a lot of things. It's the fact that, you know, it's about people's attention. And there's a lot of people out there that are spending a lot of money to get our attention. You, me, everybody's attention. And obviously that attention has something to do, hopefully, with the value of the information that uh, that you're particularly interested in, right? I mean, I don't, I don't get a lot of things that 
people already know is a waste of their money to try to attract me on. That's just clearly not something I have an aptitude to be interested in. Mm-hmm. But I would recommend kind of, I, I never even met the author. He's probably, you know, smiling every time I keep referring to the attention economy. It's been that long ago, but it's it's surprising for me how many times I, I kind of uh, frame it in that in that thought process that that in today's world, and, it, and I think it'll only get more so, it is a lot about capturing attention because the commodity, it's not even the commodity, but the time element is fixed, right? So how does that time become something that someone captures from you as you know as you pay attention to what they 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 hope you will pay attention to? It's very interesting. Hans, thank you for being here today. It was a great conversation. For those who listened today, where can they find you and they want to learn more about eTechie or yourself? Well, obviously eTechie.com, E-T-E-K-I, you know, kind of said fun. eTechie.com is uh, is the service. Welcome you to uh, try us out. It it is a possibility now, especially I think in the US first, then we'll go to the other markets. So you want to try us out? By all means, please try us out. We're still evolving and growing. So we'd love a lot of feedback as well on what people think they need help with. We want to do what uh, what people value. Absolutely. And personally, a long time ago, I I, uh, I accepted that there's no hiding uh, on the internet anymore. So Hans, H-A-N-S, Buko, almost anywhere and you'll find me. Uh, LinkedIn, I don't use it too often, but I'm, I even have the URL uh, of my name. So anyway, you'll be able to find me with my name and would love to uh, to make contact. Anybody's got some great ideas, I'm, I'm all ears. And and have helped startups, uh, as you know, Jan, for, for many years as a way to kind of pay forward for all the help that I got throughout my career. I absolutely believe in the entrepreneurial uh, spirit as a, as a core sort of evolution of mankind. And we're going to need more of it, you know, as we all need each other to solve bigger, bigger problems. Thank you so much, Hans, for that. I really appreciate your support always. So please, everybody who is listening, visit etechie.com. Check out Hans. He's a great advisor and is always happy to help. And I think etechie is a great service. So we'll also link the description of Iteki and a couple other links to Hans in the podcast description. And other than that, I thank you very much, Hans, for being on the episode. It was a great conversation. We'll check in on another episode in the next six to 12 months to see how Iteki has evolved. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing you also at the World Staffing Summit 22, which will be end of January, five days, six continents, over 100 speakers, and we expect 10,000 people from the staffing and recruiting industry to join that event live, obviously online, fully remote. So I'm excited for that. And until that time, Hans, thank you so much for being here. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Jan, as always. Appreciate it. And thank you for all the great work you're doing. I'm super excited about World Staffing Summit as well. I mean, I think that's a perfect example of everybody kind of coming together in the age of uh, you know, during or post-pandemic and, and collaborating it's a great story and it's a great evolution. And I think uh, I'm really looking forward to participating again. And I want to thank you personally as well for all the work you're doing to help the uh, this industry and in general, us, you know, all able to kind of help each other get work done. Cool. Thank you, Hans. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jan. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the World Staffing Podcast, brought to you by Candidly, the digital storefront for your staffing business. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Got a topic you want us to touch base on? Shoot us a message. 